Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor. And I got another special treat for you. Hey, it's somebody named in my likeness, right? Derek, spelled D-E-R-R-I-C-K. So we got Mr. Derek Furlow Jr., um, who is an author, a motivational speaker, former uh, UT Vol standout, and you know now using his experiences to really impact the world of sports. So Derek, welcome to the show. Are you interested in real estate? Are you tired of hearing about all the money that your friends and colleagues are making from their investments, but you don't know where to start? Don't worry, I got you. We are teaming up with Dr. Ronnie Shalev and Shawin Properties to equip you with the tools you need to feel empowered about your investments. So how do you get involved? Do these three things. First, go to my website at drderekthesportsdoctor.com and click on the sponsor link for Shawin Properties. This will give you access to a free webinar as well as the ability to have a discovery call with Dr. Ronnie Shalev. Also follow her on social media and stay tuned for more helpful tips coming at you on Money Mondays. Now back to the episode. DB or AKA Dr. Burgess, thank, thanks for having me on brother. Absolutely. And so I said, man, well, look, we got to stop chatting. We chatted for about five minutes before I hit record, but I was like, we're wasting a lot of good time here. You know, we were reminiscing some about some fellow um, people that we know together. I'm from Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Um, as you mentioned, he was in the DB room with Jason Allen, who is a graduate of Muscle Shoals High School, as well as a graduate of uh, University of Tennessee. And then we were talking about your connections with Inky Johnson. So, you know, get small real quick, bro. The world gets small real quick. Uh, so tell us where you grew up. You already, we kind of talked about it, but tell us about your early life and growing up. Uh, man, I, I grew up um, born and raised in Southwest Atlanta, Georgia, um, single mom, three kids. And um, in the inner city where we where we live on, on the West side, I mean, you, you had life happening, man, whether it was drunks, guns, violence all around you. So um, my mom wanted the best for us so we found ourselves moving around a lot to put us in the best environment as possible and at that young age i, I knew i wanted more out of life of course i didn't really know how to get it because i seen um guys either hooping rapping or selling drugs um and i didn't have enough money early in life to even play um recreational sports so we played outside in the backyard or on the concrete and then when it came down to the selling drugs piece i seen a lot of guys um ruining lives and a lot of guys go to jail. Police was up and down our block so much, Mary, I, I actually developed this fear of sirens at a young age. So at an early age, I knew I wanted something more out of life. And my mom was doing the best she could, she best she could with what she had. But we found ourselves moving around a lot. And finally, we moved out of the inner city of Atlanta, um, down in Griffin, Georgia, where she met what's today her husband. And life did get a little bit better because now she had um, help. So that was a blessing in disguise. Um, and at that point, I had a chance to play organized sports. And that's when I realized I could be good at sports, but really wasn't sure what sport per se. And things kind of got better. And by the time I got to high school, I ended up going down to Griffin High. My um, coach was like, yeah, he could be good at football. And I was OK at basketball and, and track. But my stepdad, my stepdad ended up getting this promotion with this raise. And um, this calls for another move. But this one, your everyday move that we have been used to around the city of Atlanta, around 285 South or 20. Um, this one moved us to um, Arkansas. And I don't know if you've ever been to Arkansas, DB, but uh, 
where they moved us to, it, it wasn't it wasn't a lot of people that looked like me there, and it wasn't definitely a lot of a lot of opportunity for me there. So um, that's when sports got serious, man. And I I I realized if it was up to me, it was up to me, and, and for me to get out of that, I had to come up with a plan. And that's when I started taking sports serious. And quite frankly, I still didn't know what sport I was going to be good at. But uh, we got there doing basketball season, so I was hooping. But it was doing Christmas time, and we was coming back to Atlanta to see the fam over Christmas. Of course, they had games and practice. And of course, I missed some games and practice. And when I came back, coach was like, hey, man, you got to run 500 bleachers um, to get back on the team. And I just told coach I ain't like basketball that much. So uh, <laughs> so, so that kind of weeded out basketball by default. So that left track and football because I didn't really do baseball like that. And um, track felt like punishment. So at that point, it was kind of like, well, football going to be the vehicle. And uh, that's when we got locked in, man. And I made my first plan called the Get Out of Arkansas plan. And, and that's what gave me the blueprint for, for what it was going to take to put that work in, bro. So you mentioned Southwest, you know, DeKalb, Atlanta, right? You look around, everybody looks like you. But you mentioned hooping, rapping, selling drugs, right? So then you moved to Arkansas, whole different world, right? So what oh, city did you move to? I was in CrossFit, Arkansas, bro. I don't even know if it's on the map, bro. Right. So you move rural Arkansas. You're one of probably what? One of a few, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what was that experience like? Because you're coming from the inner city to the country from majority to minority. How did you transition? It was scary in a sense of interaction and engagement to some degree. But the thought process of, man, it's a lot of nice cats that's in the A that I played against. Well, now that I'm coming out of there, none of these cats should be as nice as me. I, I feel like I had an unfair advantage or winning edge. So when it come down to the work, the mindset, the preparation, when it came down to being brought up in a tougher environment, I felt like that gave me an unfair advantage. And now when it come down to just getting a shot and play this, this game, I'm going to dominate. Like, I felt like that was that variable. And to some degree, you know, when you're the new kid, everybody had these high expectations. So in reality, especially I had coming from Atlanta, reinvent myself. Right? <laughs> yeah, I had a chance to reinvent myself because in Atlanta, I was, I was nice. I got to that Griffin, I was nice, but it was still guys that I felt that was nicer than me. When I got there, I felt like I was the nicest of the nicest. Now, now whether that was ego or pride or just the art of reinvention, when nobody don't know you, you can set your own expectations of yourself and create your own right. work, your own mindset, your own. So it might've been a little bit of that, but the art of reinvention, I had a chance to learn and I had a chance to raise my own bar personally, which opened up the door because I had, I had an idea and the goal was to get out of here with a full ride scholarship back to Georgia. And I had seen... When I got there, it was a guy, a sophomore by the name of Darren McFadden that was already committed to the University of Arkansas. So I just right. looked at the stats. I said, okay, these were, this is what he did. I needed to duplicate those stats. By default, 2,200 yards, 20 touchdowns, take us to the state championship. We win that thing. I'm going to get some attention, some notoriety. Sure enough, somebody's going to come give me a scholarship. So that was kind of the blueprint. And I didn't feel like nobody could stop me from doing it. So that was kind right. of the, the, that was the mantra, the unfair advantage of being from a, from a bigger place, more talent, inner city to – being in the middle of nowhere, I, I, I felt like I was the nicest. Um, and at that point, I just had to go prove it. So you got, you, you know, end up going to UT and SEC school. So I'm sure you had a lot of recruitment, right? Yeah. So, but the, the journey never, it's, this is the blessing in disguise, man. It never goes exactly how you think it's going to go. So mm -hmm. I come up with that get out of Arkansas plan and we start this journey. And sure enough, my, my junior year, this thing starts to work. We go 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, first time in school history, 5-0, in the season 10-0. We got three rounds of the playoffs for the fourth game of state championship game. We win the first two, get to that third one. 
they were smart, man. They let the grass grow wet the field. Right. Yeah. <laughs> After oh, yourself, yeah. we, we, we can't run. Been that done that. Losing yeah. that game, man. And um, yeah. they get out of Arkansas pad, um, playing crash and burn. But what I didn't know, it did gain some traction. And um, I got confidence, started to get some attention. So I had a chance to do some some visits and got on, some, got on the radar of a lot of schools. However, in that process, me going to all these visits, I had a chance to go to a lot of camps. And I ended up getting invited to the University of Arkansas. Um, they had the top players in the state come. I wasn't going to go anyway. However, of course, I went to that visit because it was all about the experience. And I had a chance to go up there and be around some of the best guys in the state. And while I'm there, we're doing these DB drills. And I jump with this ball, kind of come down funny. Don't think much of it. Well, the next three weeks, that knee would swell up and bother me. So I ended up going to the doctor. Come to find out, I had to my meniscus. So I had to get a scope. Hmm. Well, that scope was going to set me back because season around the corner. Um, right. So they said, hey, get the scope, sit out three weeks, come back once non-conference play start, and we'll just take care of business from there. So that was my game plan. Um, but that was my game plan. Guy had other plans because on the way of getting rolled out of the operating room, um, DB, I kind of came to, and I felt this brace in my left knee. And as I felt this brace, the doctor was to my right. And I remember just slightly looking over and saying, hey, doc, what's this brace for? And man, he said some words yeah. changed the trajectory of my life. He said that braces for your ACL. And I went in with a meniscus came out with ACL surgery. I wasn't even expecting the one he was supposed to have. And at that point right there, man, everything I had worked for became obsolete. I was now irrelevant on the football landscape because sure enough, we started off three and no four, no five, no work come back. But I ain't coming back. We lose a lot of games. All those people that had gave me that attention, all those, the none, they, they were, they were not solid offers, but just the interest. Right. All right. went away. Mm-hmm. So I went from being on a map to being completely irrelevant. And now it's back at ground zero with no offers, no opportunities, nothing at the table with me, bro. So that was the the wake up call, man, that really shook me because that, that wasn't in my plans. Um, right. So, you know, and- you're 16, 17 years old, right? And you, this is a one of the, probably one of the first major transitions. Well, you're already going from Arkansas, Atlanta to Arkansas, right? Yeah. And now I got my plan. Okay. I'm working my plan. And boom, as soon as you said I jumped up and landed awkwardly, you know, as orthopedics, I'm saying ACL, right? <laughs> and you're, yeah, you're praying for you're praying for meniscus and I, the doctor's like, mm, okay, we, we'll see, right? Right. Uh, but, you know, the ACL and now you're talking about a year of rehab, six months to a year of rehab as a 16, 17 year old kid, when you your, your clock is ticking, right? You got people looking, I'm, I'm trying to get out of here as quickly as possible. Talk to me about kind of the mentality of having to go through rehab when you already had a game plan and now that game plan is kind of falling apart. Bro, you, you summed it right up, bro. They hear that news. Cause initially I got meniscus surgery. They said it was partially torn, so they fixed it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that devastated me. I'm like, bro, let me, let me just let it hurt me. Um, <laughs> it, it took away a lot of opportunity, but yeah. in that mindset, man, I felt like I had made it through so many things. Cause when I left Atlanta, as soon as we left a year later, man, my, my cousin goes to prison. One of my best friends goes to prison. So, I felt like I was there for a reason. However, all of that adversity hit me and I didn't know anything else but to work, just keep on grinding. So as I was mad and frustrated and crying and, and asking the Lord, why me? I got this answer one day. I was doing rehab three times a day. I figured I could rush it back. And the team kept playing well before we started losing games. We'll make the playoffs. I come back in the playoffs, have one of those storybook endings, help us win a state championship and I stick him a full ride. Well, bro, right. of course, I'm trying to do rehab three times a day, bust the staples out, knee gets infected. They cut me back on my, on my rehab. So I'm, I'm, I'm pushing this thing. So all I knew it's the work. 
And man, I'm sitting there one day asking why me crying doing this bending machine as I'm laying on my bed at the house. And I remember the Lord saying to me, I gave you that stage for the glorification of my kingdom and you used it for your own selfish, ambitious purpose and goals. So I had to take it away from get your attention. And at that moment there, I, I still didn't know what that meant, but I remember saying to myself, if I ever get another stage, I'm gonna use it the right way. And man, I, I didn't know, but track season was around the corner. I said, you know what? I'm gonna run track. I ain't even like track, but I figured I had to do something. I figured track could be out for me. As I'm running track, as you know, um, spring ball starts. And sure enough, man, uh, unthinkable thing happened. I got a letter in the mail from the University of Tennessee, a place I never visited, never watched. I watched them play one time. They was, I was, they was playing against Georgia and I was rooting for Georgia. And um, they invited me to come up to a spring game, meet the players, meet the coaches. I came up to the spring game and had a chance to meet the team, met Coach Foreman, Coach Slade, Coach Caldwell. And as we sit in their office, in my head, I was wondering, like, how do they know of me? How do they even get here? And come to find out, man, they said I was on the film against two guys that was coming there. And I actually met those guys before we, we had played them in 707. And um, Coach said, look, we heard about your surgery. Unfortunately, we don't got a scholarship for you right now unless your knee responds how it's capable of responding. And if it does, we got a full ride scholarship waiting on you. Well, at that point, I don't know if they knew this, but that was music to my ears because I had no other options. Right. I was like, sign me up, I'm here. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. here. Um, so at that point, I just knew the grind. So I ended up graduating that May, bro. I was there. I, I, I enrolled in University of Tennessee um, 10 days after graduating high school. I'm nine months out, out, of, out of ACL surgery, bro, going into camp. Like, it wasn't even a whole year. And chip on my shoulder, locked in, ready to work because I knew I belonged there and the adversity and not playing that game that I thought who I was had been stripped away from me. I feel like I had something to prove, man. Like I was coming in with number one through recruiting class in the country. So it was kind of like, all right, bro, you got to go show up. And it was, it was just work. Like, I felt like I, I had been at the bottom so long. I let, nobody could outwork me. Right, man. And like you mentioned, this is full of Philip Farmer, Tennessee days. This is not kind of the lull that Tennessee yes. might have gone through recently. This is, Competing for national championships, as you mentioned, one of the top recruiting classes in the in the country. We were number three in the country when I came in. Yeah, yeah. So you know you have, and you're still rehabbing, <laughs> but you got to show up, right? Because yep. there's no other outlets, there's no other options. So you know you had the mindset of is is Tennessee or bust. Um, so I like that. So who all was in your recruiting class? Oh uh, man, I came in with some of the with some of the best guys. So um, as far as guys that. You, you, you would know or, or should know, it, it was a couple of safeties, one of them um, by the name of Demetrius Morley. He was out of Miami, incredible. Um, I got Monterio Hardesty, he came out of New Bern. He ended up going to the plan with the Browns. He actually coached at South Carolina now. My guy, Jock McClendon. I mean, we, we actually, we had 26 guys come in. And uh, as crazy as it is, I remember our first beating coach said, look to your right, look to your left. Half of y'all won't be here when it's time to graduate. And 13 of us made it out out of the 13, 11 wow. of us got our masters. Um, but we, we had, we had some incredible guys that came in, man, from your receivers, like Lucas Taylor to Chris Scott, the O-lineman. I mean, Vlad, Vlad Richardson. I mean, we had, we had a lot of guys that came in. So it was one of the biggest blessings in the skies, but it made me have to come in and show up. Um, sure, sure. Which I was well, about. Tell, yeah. Right. That's who you are. Right. So tell us about, you know, UT, one of the largest stadiums, in the country, right? Hundred what? Hundred five hundred to ten. Yeah, so it's it's a little smaller now. They don't tell nobody because they put all those fancy seats up there. But yeah, okay. but yeah, <laughs> you, you wouldn't know by the noise though. Right. But <laughs> it's what about is that one, like one? It's capped at about one hundred two right now. But yeah, it was okay. about one hundred five. <laughs> yeah. So what's that like on a Saturday night with you know University of Alabama or Florida, somebody rolling in town? What is that place like? Oh, bro, it's, it's electric. Um, 
I remember my first first game. I'm doing pregame warmups when I come out the tunnel, it, and people just coming in. I thought it, it, it wasn't even packed yet. It wasn't even loud yet. And yeah. I was so nervous, bro. We're doing pregame warm-ups. I, we backpedaling, coach throwing the ball. I dropped the ball. I'm like, oh, crap, everybody looking at me. Everybody saw me. Coach, <laughs> like, what you doing over there? Bro, it, 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 it's a disruptor because you don't know until you know. And then, bro, when, when the people come in that thing and, and that thing kick off, we can be looking face-to-face. You got to be able to read lips and have signs because wow. you, you ain't going to hear nothing. Like, we can be yeah. side by side. <laughs> you, it, it ain't working bro so yeah it's definitely a home field advantage that you don't know until you know so it's one of those things i love when people come here and come for the first time playing here it, it's gonna mess you up you can't prepare for it they can't play the noise at practice that variable is a variable for real because at some point in time it's catch you slipping <laughs> yeah i hear you all right so tell us about you know you had a strong career did you think that hey i'm headed on to the nfl after you finish at, at tennessee Man, that, that that was the plan and the goal. So from having this surgery to making it to the University of Tennessee and then earning my scholarship, and that time frame in between, it was delayed. And at that point, my second year, that's when my buddy Inky Johnson ended up getting hurt. And I had the chance to go visit him in the hospital room. And I was frustrated thinking about transferring because I, I didn't get my scholarship as fast as I thought I was going to get it. And man, when I walked into the room, Coach Slade was in the front and he said, Ink, how you feeling? And Ink said, Coach, I'm at peace. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because my, my dog almost lost his life. His arm is paralyzed. He's going to never play this game again. And I'm up here mad, frustrated, angry, and worried about a scholarship. My arm still works. I didn't almost die. So that put stuff in perspective. And what I had concluded again, man, I was still missing the message. I was still busy focused on my own personal, selfish ambitions, reasons, and goals, which was the first thing I did that God took that stage away from me. That's why I wouldn't get what I was supposed to be getting. So it made me reevaluate, give myself a different perspective and a new outlook. And I just stopped focusing on myself, man, and start truly giving my all for Tennessee and working on being a better player, a better teammate, a better son, a better brother, just all in all, not focusing on my own purposes and goals and just working on adding value to those things that I was associated with and those people that I was associated with. And man, it was the biggest blessing in the sky when I stopped focusing on myself, man. By the time camp started that next year, coach gave me my full ride scholarship to the University of Tennessee. And at that moment there, I realized, okay, I had things didn't go my way. And some guys that came before me, they're coming back to school. Things ain't going their way. What if this thing don't work out? Mm. And that's when I just started to put myself in a different perspective and realized, all right, I need to get outside this bubble of just this football space and just this football identity and get a chance to get around other people because I seen guys that was I felt like was nicer than me coming back. So that, that league whether it was an injury, bad, the, the bad coaching, like, like bad situation they was in, whatever it, came, whatever it worked out, it, things didn't go how they didn't want, how they expect them to go. So I feel like I'm nobody different. They cannot work out for me as well. So right. that's honestly what made me just started to explore what, is this, what are the things that the game give you that you can take and use outside of the sport um, that can give you that's the same success that we're striving for in, on this football field. So I just started focusing on those, those intangibles and realizing, hey, if all else fails and this next level don't work out, the game is giving me some tangible transferable skills that I can go apply in my life after sports and be elite and be accessible and have an unfair advantage because I'm having life prep right now that a lot of people don't get a chance to get. And um, sure enough, senior year comes, hurt my shoulder. Coach Kiffin was my senior year. And then um, when it came down to it, I had a chance to have a couple of workouts, but my shoulder was still already messed up. So the odds went in my favor and we right. had, had a chance to meet with a doctor and they said, look, um, you're gonna have to have shoulder surgery, six months recovery, plus another six months with rehab, and then recovery. So that's a year. 
And then at that point, you got to get back in shape to go find a team for a workout. So I'm looking at the process. I'm like, bro, I ain't with it. So it's time to go figure out what can I do that I can make NFL type money or have the lifestyle that changed my family's life. And luckily, by me getting around different people when I was at the University of Tennessee, I realized there are different careers that you can go into. You don't have to be a doctor. Um, right. You feel like you got to go to medical school to be an attorney, but entrepreneurship, sales, business, it's things that you can do if you learn those vehicles can, can, can produce that type of income for you, get that lifestyle that you want. So that's what really opened up my, my, my eyes to the opportunity, but the goal was still to leave. And then yeah. until it did not happen, that's when we made that transition. And um, once I made that transition, I realized oh, a lot of athletes could have success in their life after sports if they are able to figure out what those intangible transfer skills are. Sure, sure. Man, you talked about so much. So number one, as an orthopedic surgeon, I get to meet athletes mostly when what? They're injured, right? So mm-hmm. I'm having these conversations and, you know, I want everybody to get back, but you know, and I know once you've had one major injury, now you got a major shoulder injury. Number one, you got to see a doctor before you get on the field at any team, yep. you get a grade, right? A, B, C, D. You can be an A player with a D medical score and you're still a, li- a risk and liability. Um, so you might not be able to make it, but I try to encourage everybody at some point, the ball stops dribbling. You got to hang up the cleats what's next and most of the time i get a blind stare like well i'm going to the nfl okay i'm not going to tell you're not going to the nfl Let, let's say you go to the nfl and you have a hall of fame career and now you're 32 years old what's next well i haven't really thought that far you know and like you know the nfl not for long right so you might be able to make it there two three four years did you make enough money to really live the rest of your life so that transition is very important. And I know that you do a lot of work around transitioning. We'll talk about that later. Um, but also, you know, we talked about three athletes, yourself, Jason Allen, Inky Johnson, right? Two out of the three major injuries or three out of three major yep. injuries, right? Yep. So Jason was able to get back and make it to the NFL from something that could have been a career in Could have been devastating. Him. You know, Inky Johnson, is not able to make it back. He, he kept his life, but not his football career, right? And now we all know what he's doing with his life and how he's inspiring others. And then yourself, you know, ACL, boom, I made it back. ACL plus shoulder, now the career is over. What's next? Um, so, you know, answering that question of what's next is something that all athletes have to address sooner than later, right? And the sooner you can start to figure out who am I outside of being an athlete? I think that makes that transition easier. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? The Sabre training bat is like no other training bat you've ever used before. So the purpose of the Sabre training bat with its modified barrel is so that you can perfectly sequence and get behind the ball, getting the bat on plane sooner creating less miss hits, more line drives, higher batting averages, and more exit velocity. The Sabre training bat is the number one training bat on the market. Sabre bats, the training bat that's gonna take you to your best swing. Man, you you summed it right up. A lot of times it's figuring out who you are outside of what you do. And a lot of times as an athlete early, you never have to think about who you are outside of what you do. I was fortunate enough that ACL surgery, that was my first, that was my first time dying as an athlete. 
I was not a football player for a whole year early in high school. So the ego, all the things I thought that was going to come with the game, I had to, I suffered my first death as an athlete. So I had to figure out who I was, keep myself in check for a whole year. So by the time I got to college and I started seeing other guys come back because the game will come to the end by choice or by force, that reality started set in, bro. You got to know who you are outside of what you do because at some point of thing, some point of time, this thing will come to an end. So that whole transition, I, I, I believe, half of it is uh, identity you got to know and that's what made me honest to write the book um, when I got done I realized I took some intangible transferable skills away from the game and I was figuring out I knew how to take them away I knew how they correlated to where I was in my life I knew how to carry them over and I knew how to apply them which gave me a successful transition into sales but once I figured it out and I was duplicatable I showed it to a guy that played basketball a guy that played golf and we started to have success in the sales space at that point I said there's no way any athlete to transition to life after sport without having a transition formula. And it was pretty simple. Figuring out all those things that you were good at, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. What can you take away from all those lessons that the game gave you? How do they correlate to where you are right now or where you're looking to go in the future? Now, how do you core, core, carry those things over and apply them? Because if you don't know them, well, you can know them, but if you don't know how to apply them, it's irrelevant. And if you figure out how to apply it, it's going to give you a successful, a successful transition because what it really does, it gives you an unfair advantage or a winning edge that you don't ever realize you had because that skill set, and those intangible things were so normal inside your sport. But once you get into a career path or a career field, those things are that, not that normal in corporate America or as an entrepreneur. That, that work you put in on being able to be disciplined, being able to be consistent, the work you put in on being able to make critical decisions, on being able to pivot, being able to adjust, being able to deal with people, being able to communicate, being able to lead. You got a chance to practice your emotional highs, your emotional lows, and how to deal with that. Right. in a game setting and practice it and, re and repeat it until you got it right. Most people never get a chance to get that, get those 10,000 hours and none of those skill sets. So when they get in life, it's make or break. It's game time, everything right. And they, they, they shook. But you don't have a chance to have cultivate those skills as an athlete. When you get into the real world, ain't no pressure because you don't been under high pressure situations. Like you don't been there with people watching you all, all eyes on you and you got to make a play. The clock running down. But you never realize that skill set, that mindset, those intangibles, that's what make you elite. That's what make you one of the best at what you do. But when you transfer out of that space, those same skill sets still can apply. So when I realized that stuff in the sales space, man, um, that's what made me write the book, What's Next? How to Transition Like a Champion, because I figured it was just not taught in our lingo. And there was never a curriculum or a book that we can go through understanding on our own terms and be able to lay out our own blueprint and our game plan for us to transition to life of the sport. So that was the concept of the books, the curriculum. So it can be in the athletic language. Cause I believe they bring a lot of great people back, but if they're not relatable or you can't articulate it in a way that speaks the athletic lingo, the message right. goes over their head and they just, you just wasted their time, their energy, somebody's money and the athletes took nothing away from it. And they feel like, I just say here for two hours, I ain't learned nothing about it. So right. that was kind of the process. That was the blessing in the skies. And I just tell athletes in the middle of your mess, don't miss the message. And I almost missed mine twice until that second visit. When I had a chance to be, visit Inky in the hospital room. And that's when I realized I was so big as focusing on myself. I wasn't adding value. And the moment you start adding value, giving people what they want, you start getting the things you want. But I never thought about it until it happened to me. I'm at a university yeah, trying to get my not, scholarship. Not give it to me, right? It's, that's what it. can I? How can I help you? No, that's, that's, it. that's real. Same, same, same concept. How, how can I add value to the team? How can I add value to the institution? How can I add value to this? to this GPA, how can I add value to all these things that's going to make the institutional organization look good? Well, when I start adding value to those things, all of a sudden, I was an asset. Oh, I need to go home and make sure he's on scholarship. 
versus me. I need to go ahead and get this scholarship. I'm putting in this work in the weight room. I'm putting in this work in the film room. Well, I'm already running down. I'm, I'm almost all the special teams. All right, that was that was good, but I'm already here. Why would you give me a scholarship? You already got the cow. Why, why, you don't need to pay for the milk. You already got the cow. Same concept. Assets over liabilities, right? Come on. The, as soon as you became an asset, now it's more than just how fast can he run, right? What else can he bring to the table? How can he mentor this freshman? How can he keep this guy out of trouble? You know, how can he talk to this guy who's on the brink of leaving or maybe even on the brink of committing suicide? How can he intervene and bring somebody, you know, this value to the team? Now you're more valuable. That's it. Um, so, yeah, man, that, that was golden. That was golden for sure. Uh, you know, I had Catherine Walker, who is the CEO of Revitalist on, and she spoke about that same thing about how, you know, you might get time to fill out your resume or CV, and you, it, it looks blank to you because you didn't have a chance to have that summer job at McDonald's or Walmart. However, you have all these skills that you might not even be aware of, you know, how to be clutch, how to make a mistake, flush it, and keep push, pushing. Those are things that CEOs love, that any boss wants somebody who's going to show up and work, no matter what the conditions are around them. But you have to be able to verbalize that or, you know, show, hey, I'm an athlete. This is why I'm different from Johnny, who just graduated from whatever school with a master's. This is why I can bring this winning, you know, mentality to your team. So I think that's very important to be able to verbalize that. And number one, you got to understand it before you can verbalize it. That's real. That's real. And, and, and Katie gets it. You, you spoke with a champion in general, so she gets it. So that's awesome. You had a chance to have her on. Yeah. She definitely gets that format across the board. So talk to us about what you're doing with Revitalist. What's your role with Revitalist? So in, in general, um, from the book and the, some programming that we created for athletes um, that I speak on and help, help athletes with, the partnership with Revitalist came about being um, in the mental health space, we want to be able to help more athletes when it comes down to the mental health aspects. And me having the lingo and just being um, an athlete and having that relationship with athletes, a lot of times is athletes going to trust athletes. They're going to open up athletes. So at the end of the day, the, the relationship allows us to open up more doors for us to talk about mental health and, and have athletes speak on it, advocate for it, and get them the game plan for how it's beneficial to us. Um, versus it being something foreign or versus it being something we don't trust because it's something we don't know about or people that we that we feel don't look like us or can't relate to, whatever that looks like. So um, that's how we got to the table, man. We were able to put some great programming together to be able to change the dynamics of mental fitness. And um, now that's just kind of created a wave where now we get a chance to do that across the board. And that's what made me launch um, SLB, the agency, which is a, a sports agency. You know, we work on NIL deals for college athletes, but we specify with helping them get NIL deals with mental health companies and brands because we realize people look up to athletes and if athletes are getting these NIL deals with these mental health clinics, for one, it debunks the stigma, um, normalizes the conversation. Also, it allows the athlete to get education on mental health, whether they're dealing with the things now or not but it gives them a safe space. So if they're in the locker room, you're going to talk to your peers about stuff you're dealing with. Well, now if you've got some education on this clinic and understand how they operate, now your peers is dealing with some things you can suggest or give them insight on how they can actually go get some help versus not knowing what those red flags may be, or just not really having a resource or being able to help them if they're dealing with something. And then all of a sudden they go out and have some suicidal thoughts or, or in them harming themselves. And then from the everyday person, if they see athletes affiliated with mental health clinics or entities, they feel, hey, these big, strong athletes that I look up to, that I admire in whatever sport they may be, 
if they're getting help or okay with these clinics, maybe I should be okay. Maybe it's okay for me to go get help. So it helps that clinic and that branding and that marketing as well. So um, that's been the overall goal of how do we help change the game when it comes down to mental health in the sports. So um, Revitalist definitely opened up the door and one of the people that's leading the way and that we're taking it and running with it with SLB, the agency. So, man, it's been a, been a fun partnership, blessing in disguise. And that's awesome. I haven't heard of anyone with the NIL deal for mental health space, but I mean, it's so needed. Like just, I was thinking as you were talking about that, just like as a teammate with somebody with a concussion, a physician or a coach might not always see it, but when you're right there in that huddle with them and you see that the guy, he doesn't even, he can't remember the play. He can't find his way back to the line. You're one of the first people that can intervene. It's the same way with mental health and depression. You know, when you're, you're in that locker room and you see this guy, man, he's not acting himself or he stops hanging out with us. He stops coming to meals. He stops doing whatever. You could be that first person to intervene and possibly save a life. So I think that work is very important and, you know, very valuable. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely um, some cool things coming that should disrupt the whole space and provide some value to the space um, that it just won't be a simple transactional format. It's going to be more of a way we can make a way, but make a difference, make an impact and, and help everybody win. Yeah, absolutely. So on Time Out with the Sports Doctor, this is your final time out. I mean, we've talked about a lot, right? We've talked about injuries, recoveries, you know, mental health, um, transitioning. But I want to stick with, you know, your book, kind of the art of transitioning and transitioning like a pro. Talk to someone who's in a bad place, right? Whether it's mental health-wise, career-wise, as an athlete recovering from an injury. What's the number one thing that you'll tell them? Where do you start? to be able to get yourself back to being that athlete, to being that person, or to even being a better person than they were before their injury or setback? I believe it all comes down to perspective, man. You gotta have a perspective shift. If you can view it different, you can do it different. And it's all in how you look at it. So when it comes down to it, whatever, you, whatever you're growing through, is preparing you for where you're going to. So you just gotta realize where you're at, you have not always been there, and where you are, you don't have to necessarily always stay there. So the variable is going to be, what are you going to do while you are there? So I was just leaving with the transition formula. Um, T plus C plus C equals ST. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever you're going through in life, in the middle of your mess, don't miss your message. So when you're dealing with some things, what are those takeaways? What are those things that you can take away from? It? Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever those takeaways are, those are the lessons that you're supposed to learn. So take those things away. And now once you take them away, all right, ask yourself, how do those things correlate to what I'm dealing with right now or where I'm looking to go in the future? Once you figure out how those things can correlate, all right, how do I carry over these lessons and apply them? Now, because you can know these lessons, but if you don't apply them, you're going to repeat them. Right. How do I carry over these lessons and apply them to my life right now and in the future? And once you start doing that, you start having successful transitions. So you start going from where you are to where you're looking to go. Because um, I believe this, you're in transition, just came out of a transition or a transition is on its way. The variable is how long you're gonna stay in it. I tell people don't get caught, don't get caught in the transition trap. So the transition formula is designed to help you get through that transition trap because we're all gonna go through it. Um, the game gonna come to an end by choice or by force. It's just a matter of how long do you want to stay in that trap. So um, it's gonna start with perspective, some gratitude, and once you get the proper perspective, um, that allows you to view it different. And once you view it different, you'll do it different. Man, repeat that formula again. We got to write that one down. T plus C plus C equals st so takeaway plus correlate plus carryover equals successful transition the transition yeah. point that's beautiful 
That's beautiful. All right, man. So tell everyone, you know, you got them intrigued now. How can they, can they find you on social media? How can they find out more about your, your NIL company um, and also the work that you're doing in the mental health space? Man, it's, it's pretty simple to find me. If you want to follow me, it's Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K-F-U-R-L-O-W, um, Jr. And that's on all social media platforms. And then um, you can check out DerekFurlow.com. And also for the agency, it's SLBTheAgency.com. So, and it's SLBTheAgency on all social media platforms as well. So feel free to follow us, um, join us, comment, share. Um, you can see everything that we're doing and um, we'll, we'll love to help help you transition like a champion absolutely and all that information will be in the show notes plus um, how they can purchase your book will also be in the show notes Derek hey thank you for being here man you've really blessed me so I know you're going to be a blessing for this audience and if there's anything I can do to help with the work that you're doing please let you know feel free to reach out appreciate that DB man thank you for your time and your energy man thank you for what you're doing keep it up brother definitely need it absolutely absolutely thank you for continuing to support this podcast if you enjoyed this episode then please leave a five-star review and if you haven't done so subscribe so you continue to get the updated episode until later peace Life, sports, and medicine.